I was filled with great joy yesterday, as uh, Steve would have been as well. I'm a Chelsea fan. Chelsea fan, and so I was filled with great joy. But to put the icing on the cake, um, I, I grew up in a school um, that uh, I was the only Chelsea fan in, and it was majority Liverpool fans. And I had a conversation with my brother-in-law, who is a Liverpool fan, um, and it just filled me with great joy because I was able to point out to him how Chelsea was still in the Champions League and Chelsea was still in the FA Cup. And I unashamedly say, it filled me with great joy. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very happy about that. Um, just to uh, say thank you to everyone that's been praying for Phoebe lately. Um, we're still not sure what's going on with her foot. The swelling is still there, but she seems okay in herself. We're hoping to get it resolved as soon as possible. Oh, I'm, I'm having... Oh, it needs to be closer to me. There we go. Okay. My mic, I've just been told. Is that better? Can people hear me better now? The closer, the better. I've got a beard in the way, though, so let's just see how it goes. All right. I need to shave. That's what Aid is telling me at the back. Okay. But yeah, thank you so much for everyone that's been praying, and thank you for upholding uh, Bonnie and her family in particular in prayer this last few weeks um, with her grandmother passing away. Um, the funeral's on Wednesday, so we'd appreciate continued prayer for that. Uh, it's been a difficult few weeks, but thank you so much um, for all that you guys have been doing. It's fantastic to be in a community of people like this when we know that we're in this together. But it's my privilege to get us started today on the parables of the kingdom. And this is the first time in over a year that I am speaking to actual people on a Sunday morning. Uh, there's no opportunity for me to pause and to re-record if I make a mistake. So I'm sorry, guys. You are just going to have to live with any mistakes <laughs> that I make. This is really exciting for us to preach and teach on the parables parables of the kingdom. There you go, first mistake already. I would have been re-recording that there, slipping over my word. <clears throat> but we're going to spend a lot of time in one chapter, in Matthew 13. And uh, this is really important because if there was just one sentence that we could use to describe Jesus's ministry on earth, it would be to proclaim and inaugurate God's kingdom on earth. But calling this series the parables of of the kingdom is, is a bit of a misnomer because the truth is, is that all the parables are told as kingdom explanations for Jesus's kingdom actions. They are saying, don't be surprised, but this is what it looks like when God's in charge. They are not abstract teaching, and indeed, if we approach them like that, we, we won't understand them properly. Jesus had grasped that. If God was to become king on earth as in heaven, Something deeper than outward reformation would be required. It wouldn't do simply to tighten up existing laws and regulations and enforce them more strictly. That's what the Pharisees wanted to do. They were a popular pressure group um, urging moral reformation as part of their own vision on how God might become king. But Jesus had a different sort of moral reformation in mind. And for us, it speaks to us today where sometimes we can just think, oh, if only we tighten up our, our current moral laws. If only we just reform ourselves a little bit on the outside. We're, we're, we're mistaking what Jesus is doing because the reality is, is that we need something deep on the inside 
utterly changing. Parables are a strategic device used by Jesus to bring about his mission and his purpose. They were stories designed to tease, to to clothe the shocking and revolutionary message of God's kingdom in, in a garb that left hearers wondering. Many times we hear about people not understanding what the parables were about. They were trying to think it out, never quite able until really the very end to pin Jesus down. They were stories that eventually caused some people to decode his deep, deep, rich message in such a way as to frame a charge against him of either blasphemy or sedition, and it resulted in him hanging on a cross to die. So today, what we're going to do is, and I'm really excited about this because this pushes all my buttons, we're going to set a context for reading the parables of Jesus as a whole. Um, We're going to... uh, do a thought experiment. I'm really excited about this because uh, I've, I've basically taken a thought experiment that I heard from a Bible scholar called Tim Mackey, and I found it really, really useful. And I think it'll be useful for you guys. And it will kind of get us into a way of how we can approach uh, the parables. So let's try and imagine that you are a Jewish farmer. Uh, Moshe and Elisabeth. Uh, That's the the Hebrew for Elizabeth, if you're wondering. Um, You're farmers on ancestral land up in Galilee, say, first century um, uh, AD, so uh, more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, No, just less than 2,000 years ago. You're living up in the hills, and uh, from where you are, you're looking down on the Lake of Galilee. You're you're living in a small town, but from your hillside, uh, you can see other other small towns Um, all around because it's a bit like a huge amphitheater. Not that you can yell and another person can hear you, but you can see everything that's going on. Uh, Maybe maybe they're about 10 miles away, something like that. Uh, Everything is is close-knit family ties. You've had your land that you live on for generations. Uh, This is the very land, indeed, that God promised Abraham and your ancestors lived there. And you've been living there for now at least three centuries or so, uninterrupted. You had a a bit of a gap during the exile, a 70-year gap. Um, And before then, people lived there for thousands of years. Your life is dominated by the fields, uh, dominated by family and dominated by synagogue. And in all of those contexts, you are singing the Psalms. (laughs) You grew up and you, you tell your kids the stories of the prophets and the stories of the kings of Israel, the, the stories of the scriptures. This is, this is what you do. This is your media. Uh, you sing, you tell the stories, you're doing it at home, you're with the family, you're doing it at synagogue. It's like the Shema. When you get up, when you lay down, when you walk, when you go out, when you go in, it, it's just part of your atmosphere. It's part of your culture. And, and what's that story about? The story is about how the God who gave your family this land that you're living on is not just the God of your tribe, but the creator of everything. And he chose your family and your nation to be the vehicle of his work among the nations to bring blessing to them. But in this moment, you're in a a strange kind of paradox, a strange problem, um, because uh, you're on this land, but there are invaders there. Uh, your ancestors, they, they turned away from God. They were unfaithful to him. 
And so God gives them over to exile. And he allowed foreign nations to come and oppress and take over your land. It's something that we've not really experienced um, uh, since the Second World War. And even then, it was only the Jersey, I think Guernsey as well, where our land was taken over by invaders. It's not something that is in our kind of living memory. Um, and it started with nations like Assyria, and they came and take the lake of, they took the Lake of Galilee first. Um, it was uh, annexed. Uh, and then um, there were other empires, Babylon, Persia, Greece, the whole thing. And now in your day, the Romans, and they are everywhere. They're, they're in your little town too. Uh, at least the tax collectors are and the soldiers that protect their tax booths. Um, when, you, when you harvest your wheat, you've got to go and you've got to take your, your whole wagon to town. But that's not just for you to sell and for you to have because you've got to go and take it to the tax collector checkpoint. Uh, and you're not happy about that because the taxes are really high. <laughs> it's really excessive. Uh, all your cousins, actually, have had to sell their land because of the tax burdens that are currently on them. And so they have to work their own land, but, but now is slaves to some Roman landowner who lives in a, in a totally different place. And the tax collectors have a reputation of always being on the up and up. Uh, they add a, a little service fee, the the fee that Amazon gets or eBay gets whenever you buy something online. They add that. Um, and, and that's what Matthew, the tax collector, used to charge before he followed Jesus. So for the last 40 years, you've been living under Roman occupation. You live in a militarized zone. Taxes keep going up. And the state um, was recovering from a, a political revolt that had left it so weak when the Romans arrived on the scene, they just really, they just scooped it right up. And they established a puppet king, a guy who was just ready and in the waiting, half Jewish, half Edomite, named Herod the Great. He was a Semitic tribal chieftain um, who kind of climbed the greasy pole to the top. And he became friends with the Roman powers. You're on your land, but you've got a compromised leader who doesn't really represent your interests. And you've got Roman militarization everywhere. Taxes are really heavy. People are going into debt. People are being sold into slavery. I harvest my field. I sell off the harvest. Now I've got some money, but it's not really enough to pay your taxes and what provides for my family. I need, I need an amount just to be able to pay for my family through the year and to keep the business going and to plant the field for the next year. And then Romans are coming to me and saying, hey, I need a big chunk of what you have. And... Uh, and then you don't have anything. The only thing that you can do is to sell your land and to sell yourself. I'm just trying to highlight features here that are going to come up in some of the parables. Debt slavery, selling land, acquiring land, working as a manager of someone else's land. This is life in Galilee. Dreams of finding treasure. And of course, you know, just farming. Fig trees, olive trees, fruit, wheat, um, harvest time, seed time, um, and some food preparation parables, uh, the way of breaking bread, sweeping your house, looking for lost coins that you've dropped. This is just life in ancient Israel, and life is hard. There are many regions in the world today that are like this, that are occupied zones uh, by an imperial power, but it can be quite difficult for us to put ourselves into that situation, so I think it's really helpful for it. I find it really helpful. 
when we start listening to the teachings of Jesus and particularly the parables to try and insert ourselves in that area. This is part of the human story. But the difference here, a big difference here, is these people, Moshe and Elisabeth, they're fueled by the hope of the scriptural story that you were raised on. The, the people, they have hope that God is going to send a ruler to do something, to do what I, Isaiah said, that he's going to um, come back and dwell in the temple in Zion and kick out all of the bad guys. He's going to send a king. In Isaiah 40, it says, the messengers of good news bring this. Behold your God, he comes with power. His arm um, comes and brings justice, but with his other arm, he gathers in the little lambs and holds them close to his chest. You live by that hope. Hope for a king, your own king, which means that you're, you're free from the Romans. And according to the scriptures, it would be a time of abundance and liberty. The new Eden. And so you've got these things that you're struggling with. Occupation, a lot of poverty. But the scriptures, they're hoping for a time when God's presence comes back among us. When the temple is recognized as the home of the creator God and all Israel and all nations see it as the capital of the world. It's not just we are free and, and have plenty, but the whole world recognizes that Israel's God is the true God of the universe. It's pretty cool. That's the, that's the world that they are living in. And there's more. You know, people are inspired by this hope and they really want to see it happen. And so there are movements of Jews who have chosen to rebel. They go up and they hide in the hills and they perform raids, these guerrilla raids. It's pretty, pretty scary stuff. In a few decades, they'll come to be called the Daggers, as, as gang names go. It's a pretty cool name. Uh, it sounds like a gang name anyway, the Sakari, the Zealots. Because like Phineas and like Elijah, they were full of this violent zeal, a passion for Israel's God to be honored among the nations. And they take it into their own hands. Actually, you know a couple of your second cousins who have gone missing. And uh, at last you've heard that they were last seen running up into the caves and that they wanted revolution. They want the kingdom of God. This, this gang, their slogan is probably the kingdom of God now. Just imagining. But they are the kingdom of God movement for these people in this time. And it's, it's interesting, it's political, it's violent, there's deaths happening, there's banditry going on, there's this, this tension, this atmosphere. Some people are, are very vocal about supporting it. Everybody knows about them. Some are a bit quieter. You know, maybe some people want them to stop so that people can just get on with their lives and, and live peacefully. You know, they, they might remember what it was like when the army came in to put down a bad bit of rebellion. It sounds a bit like times in Northern Ireland. Maybe times a bit like in Myanmar that we're seeing right now. This is real and visceral stuff to them. It's dangerous times. But there's one movement led by a guy called Simon Jordan River to reenact the crossing of the Jordan by Joshua. They thought they were going to bring in the new Israel. And that is a very theatrical way to start because that is how Israel started. 
And everybody, remember their media is scripture. Their media is retelling all of these stories. Everybody knows what that means. This guy, Simon, goes to the river. He wants to inaugurate a new Israel and a new kingdom. People know what's going on. These are really tense times. And you just recently heard there's this guy called John the Baptizer, who he's down by the river and he's doing the same thing, but it's a little bit different. He's actually calling people to repent from all the years of unfaithfulness to Israel's God. He's not, he's not a military leader like the other guy was, but they both seem to go down to the Jordan River where Joshua led the people into the land. This is all happening. But then you heard that there's this new guy, an itinerant prophet and teacher, and he's going around all of the rural villages around Galilee, and he's announcing that God's rule and reign is arriving in Israel here and now. Oh, that's exciting. That's interesting. And you've heard stories on top of this that he can heal the blind, that there are people tortured by evil, and Jesus has freed them. There was this guy living in a graveyard who would mutilate himself, and at last um, was seen, and the last time he was seen, sorry, he's got a job fishing down at the lake, and he's healthy now. I mean, you hear about this, and, and you're bringing in your wheat into a local town, into a local village, and you hear Jesus is in town. He's just down the road. Let's go and hear him. So you say to your farmer, to Moshe, um, let's go down there. And there's this big crowd. You can barely see Jesus. The crowd is so big. And you can hear his teaching. And this is what you hear him saying. This is from Mark 4, 26. Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed on the soil. And he goes to bed at night. And then he gets up by day. And the, the seed's sprouting and growing. How? He himself doesn't know. The soil just produces crops by itself. First the blade and then the head then the mature grain in the head, and then, when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And Moshe turns around and says, well, Jesus, you've just described my year. <laughs> that's what I do all year. If, if that's what the kingdom of God is, that, that's, that's my job. And you're in conflict with this hope and this expectation of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like in your eyes. This guy, Jesus, maybe he's not as interesting as I thought he would be. Uh, wait, wait, wait. He's speaking again. What's he saying? He's saying, um, how, how well should we imagine the kingdom of God? To, to what can we compare it? It's like a mustard seed that is sown upon the soil. Even though it's smaller than all the other seeds, yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants. It forms huge branches so that the birds in the air can nest under its shade. And it's quite puzzling. It creates more questions than answers in a way, especially, especially if you're really actively waiting for the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God, it's not some abstract ideal. It's not a religious principle that we can take out from a, a dictionary definition. It's not a moral attitude. It's waiting for something very real to happen in human history. And, and this is what you're waiting for. And if you're really invested in it, you've maybe moved out to the hillside and you're participating in rebellion against the Roman Empire, the big bad boys in town. Maybe you're not so invested, but you're still working in the fields, 
and you're trying to figure out how is this kingdom of God going to come, and you want it to come. And Jesus comes, and he's talking about the kingdom, and you're like, what does he have to say? (laughs) Because I want to understand what he means by the kingdom of God is here right now. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who farms, and it's like a seed that grows. Small seed that becomes a large tree, big uh, big enough so birds can come and hang out in it. And it's just totally against what people were expecting the inauguration of the kingdom to look like. So let's imagine some of the reactions. What's he going to tell Elisabeth when he gets home that night? Well, he'll he'll remember the story. He'll remember it exactly. It won't be like those three-point sermons when you go home and you're like, oh, what was point number two again? They're very simple. He'll be able to tell her this is exactly what he said. He told this story. He said, the kingdom of God is like me, like a farmer who waits for the crop that grows, and then he harvests it. He described how it grows and how it comes out stage by stage. And as you're telling it back to Elisabeth, um, maybe you remember, oh, yeah, it, was, it was interesting. He said this detail that the farmer doesn't know how it grows. It just grows in its own time and uh, in a kind of a mysterious way. Then all of a sudden, it's ready. What do you mean? Sometimes I wish the harvest would grow a little more quickly, you know. Or sometimes I wish it wouldn't grow so quick because I've got to time it with my other fields. Hmm. If you're a first century farmer, I don't think, well, maybe you're, you're agonizing about why or maybe but why, the, why the seed grows in the way it does. Maybe you're not agonizing about it. Um, but maybe you're like, oh, some years it doesn't grow as well. So you're like, oh, I wish I just understood this more. Um, and I, I want to make sure my next harvest is really great. But Jesus comes and he says that the kingdom of God is like this. And the mustard seed story is about the contrast of, of small to great. He emphasizes it's like a little seed that's tiny, but then it becomes huge. So it's tiny, and you wouldn't think that a huge thing could come from it, but then, but then a huge thing does come. And, and that's both similar and different to a guy who sowed seeds and then it grows. But it grows at a pace and in a way that's mysterious. But eventually, it does come to completion. So at this point, if you're Moshe, you could just be like, oh, I don't have time for this. This is just nonsense. And Ellie Sabbath, maybe she's like, yeah, 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 this guy's weird. Um, What does it mean? Let's go clean up the barn. Let's go and sort out our animals. Um, But then you stood next to a a guy, um, and, and he says that he thinks that he's totally crazy. But then there's this other thing, you know, You've grown up in the scriptures, and you remember Isaiah 55, where God compares his word, the word that promises the new exodus and the freedom of the new covenant and the new creation for our people. And Isaiah said that God's word is like a seed, that when he grows, when he sows it in the ground, it grows a plant and does not return to God empty. And you also remember that strange dream that Daniel had about a, a big tree that the birds of the air nested in its branches. But but that was Babylon. Then you remember that Daniel said that the tree would get cut down and uh, would be replaced by the kingdom of God. Wow. Maybe this Jesus guy isn't so crazy. Maybe he's been thinking and meditating on the Hebrew scriptures. Maybe these are like little encoded Hebrew Bible parables. Maybe there are little condensed stories Uh, for those who, if you have the time to ponder it, is actually going to say something really profound. But 
in a kind of concealed way. So Moshe, now as he farms, he's thinking about these, and he's thinking about Isaiah, and he's thinking about God's word as a seed, God's word about the new exodus and the new kingdom of God that would come after exile. And he's, and he's thinking, yes, this is the kingdom of God. This is the thing that I'm waiting for, this geopolitical moment in human history where no longer I'm under Roman occupation. But it also seems like there's going to be a, a new type of abundance, a new type of human heart, a new type of all these things. This thing, it, it starts really, really small. Surprisingly small, but it's going to become really great. And how it grows, maybe I don't understand. Maybe I'm, I'm not going to understand how it's going to come about. And so Moshe, he goes to bed day after day after day, and this is just slowly, slowly, slowly developing until it's ready. And it will be ready. <laughs> maybe, maybe, just maybe, Jesus is onto something. God is taking his time, but maybe Jesus is telling us something about the long time that we've been waiting and that God's ways and timeline might be very different than our ways and our timeline. Maybe if that guy, Jesus, comes back, I think I'm going to go back. I think I'm going to go and listen to him. Jesus would call Moshe somebody who has ears to hear. Because somebody who doesn't have ears to hear would just be like, I don't, I don't have time for this. This, is, this guy's just crazy. And that is how many people responded to Jesus. But then there were other people who were impressed that there was something here with this man and that the signs and wonders he performed and the teachings and his parables gave them a new way of thinking about what they thought they knew. And so they kept going back and uh, asking Jesus questions and sitting under his teachings. And so what are the parables? They are inviting the listener into an experience, to experience a, a little narrative world in a way that will give new understanding, to give new insight. Parables are anything but a direct form of communication. Jesus would often be asked a question and he would respond with a parable. It's just worth letting that sink in, <laughs> that this is one of Jesus's favorite modes of communication. It's a very patient way to communicate. You know, if, uh, well, I am a parent, and uh, I need my kids to understand something right now. I just cut to the chase. <laughs> this is the way that you operate in the world. This is what you need to under understand. You know, we, we take baths at least every other day so that you don't stink. You have to clean up your room. Uh, it doesn't stay, up, uh, stay in a perpetual disorder. Go, go and clean it. And you would think, I would think anyway, that the God of the universe would just want to be more direct. And yet... That's not what happens. The parables on the surface seem like they are the most simple kind of teaching because they are little explainer stories. And I can get to the main idea behind them pretty quickly. But there is way more going on here. We shouldn't allow ourselves to domesticate the parables. Why would, she, why would Jesus choose this very subtle, non-direct form of communication as one of the main ways that he communicates what the kingdom of God is like. Because as, as Moshe, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I just lost my, my notes. 
Oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Moshe, he, he goes back and he sees Jesus acting. And he hears Jesus more and more. And then he, he sees Jesus' behavior. He, he sees the signs and wonders and how he invites all of these really suspect people to eat meals together. A tax collector. The guy who took my taxes last year, Matthew. He, Jesus goes to Matthew's house and, and he invites prostitutes there. And there's a couple of Pharisees. And, and then there's these fishermen and they all eat together. You're like, what is this? This is so weird. But then you hear him tell a parable about how two guys owed somebody a bunch of money. One guy 50, one guy 5,000. Jesus said, yeah, which one will be more grateful if they have their debt forgiven? And you're like, oh. The parables were a way that Jesus offered commentary on the rest of the kingdom of God package that he was bringing about. The parables were prompted by Jesus' need to explain what he was saying and doing with the rest of his mission. In other words, what Jesus was saying and doing prompted questions, and the parables are a response to address those questions. Why does this man eat with sinners and tax collectors? Why does he heal on the Sabbath? Why does he spend so much time with undesirable people? And the parables come as explainers. But what they do do is to invite the person to investigate more. So what we're going to do over the next few months, as we go through these parables, we're going to have some really gifted people <laughs> come and share. They're going to, um, they're, they're gifted in teaching and they're, they're living that kingdom life. And we need to make sure that our hearts are ready to receive the challenge of the kingdom. Parables will come and it will um, we should find ourselves over the next few months feeling uncomfortable um, as individuals, as a community. It should raise questions about ourselves, about our community, and about Jesus that will expose our heart and drive us to a crisis of decision. To, to live in the kingdom of God, it's not, it's not a one-time event. It's rather one in which we face making a choice every single day to come under the rule and authority of Jesus. So we ask over these next few months that you would join us in humbling ourselves to give the Holy Spirit the freedom to challenge, to rebuke, to comfort, and encourage us as we press together in the kingdom of God. I think as well that we could just talk to, to God in our own time, that he would make us aware of maybe some of the presuppositions that we have of what the kingdom of God should look like and that we come prepared to allow Jesus to just strip them away, to allow the words that are going to be spoken to us to reshape and reveal Jesus to us in a real and a profound way. So if you're up for it, just as we close, let's pray. And just echo, echo this prayer in your hearts. Father, we come before you and we recognize that you are our king. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross and that you resurrected him. 
so that we could live in resurrection power. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we thank you that you extend your hand to us so that we could be partners in the extension of your kingdom in this land. And Father, we come before you acknowledging that uh, often we just get things wrong, acknowledging that we have a past that has spoken to what we believe in the kingdom of God. And we ask just by your Holy Spirit that if there is anything there that is not of you, that you would just start to rip that away, to start to take up the weeds. We ask that you would help us to understand the meaning of each parable as we look at its historical context, as we look at what Jesus really, really meant, as we understand its significance in our lives. And Father, we pray that this would be a catalyst for each one of us to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.